The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. So if you are listening live, you're welcome to join the discussion with your comments and questions, and you can call us anytime at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555, and we would love to hear from you. Facebook users, you can also message us during the show right now or anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. So the topic for today's show is clarity. Long-term addiction has a way of befuddling our minds and obscuring our clarity on many levels. Fortunately, we can regain our faculties and clear our thinking as we walk the path of recovery. Today, we want to discuss how we moved from bewilderment to clarity of mind and purpose by using simple spiritual principles in recovery. We'll begin by sharing our own experiences of obscured clarity and then move into the simple spiritual principles we found to be the solution. After the break, we'll share exactly how we use these spiritual principles to come out of the fog of, to clarity of mind and purpose. So, Lonnie, what, what do you recall about that kind of mental fog that uh, seems to befuddle us all when we're in active addiction? Well, you know, when I was there, I don't remember feeling befuddled. I don't remember thinking that I couldn't um, think clearly. It always seemed to me that I knew exactly what I was doing, how I was doing it, when I was going to do it, where, and all of that. You know, and it, it just um, it amazes me to look back and realize sometimes how confused um, my thinking was, how confused it was to, you know, to, I, I would... I would think I was fully present, and then the next day I'm going, well, now what happened? What did I say? What do you mean I argued with you about that? You know, I just I just didn't have any recollection of it. Yeah, I have a similar experience to that, and it seems like almost everything that we talk about I could uh, preface with the, uh, with the disclaimer, I had no idea. And I, and I know that all of us who have been touched by addiction and moved into recovery know exactly 
what that means. And I feel the same way about this. I really had no idea. In fact, ironically, one of the ways that my mind was fogged is that it prevented me from seeing how fogged my mind was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, you know, looking back on it now, like you said, looking back on it now, I can see it with some clarity. But at the time, I really had no idea. In fact, that that has been one of the disconcerting aspects of recovery is as the as the light has slowly come on, so to speak, uh, I don't like everything I see about the way that I was. And this is an example of the one of the kinds of things, uh, you know, as my mind becomes more clear, well, fortunately, my mind is more clear. Unfortunately, I have real clarity into the ways I used to think and act, and that's not always something I want to look at. You know, it it um, there's a phrase that reminds me of this, and it, it runs through my mind from time to time, and that is, I don't know how many times I said, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it did. I, I was missing major pieces of logic in, in lining up how things were going to go. I didn't consider the way other people felt or thought or even that they were in the picture. And at the end of the, of the um, sequence, I would end up with this, this phrase, you know, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time with, and being baffled about why it didn't turn out right, whatever the, it was that, it, that was, I was being engaged in at that point in time. And, you know, it just, it reminds me of how I had such this narrow focus um, and we've talked about that multiple times on the program about being the self-centeredness. But my focus, um, you know, that my perspective of the world was pretty closed down. It pretty much included me and what I was doing, and that was about it. You know, that idea that says that, uh, you know, for each of us, whatever it was that we did or whatever it is we're doing, it makes perfect sense at that moment. Um, I... I have heard that described with a with a saying, I guess, a phrase that I heard from my first unity minister, who would, you know, when when perplexed with what somebody was doing, saying, or you know, acting that seemed very strange, say, "Well, you know, that's just a, a another child of God here with me in the school of life, doing what seems right and true for them in this moment." That's always true about everyone. As crazy as my actions may have seemed to others, to me at the time, they seem perfectly normal. Of course, it makes sense that I would do this, that, or the other thing. But again, you know, that's just uh, that's another way of saying that um, my obscured clarity obscured my clarity of my lack of clarity, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> that was clear, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Clear as mud. <laughs> Well, you know, that talks about in the recovery literature about these strange mental blank spots, you know, and I got that for a long time that if I had, if I was under the influence, I had these brownouts and blackouts, I call them, you know, where I did not know or have a recollection or I could only have dim memories of what had gone on and, and maybe not at all. But, you know, it these strange mental blank spots I found continued to occur after I got into recovery. You know, I was clean and I was sober and all of a sudden I'm still not able, it's not all of a sudden, it was a continuation. I still had this fogginess about me. I still couldn't think straight. I still couldn't analyze uh, what was I doing? Why did I say that? What was I thinking? Uh, What was my behavior about? You know, I didn't understand my motives, my belief systems or anything that was driving me or my emotions or where they came from or how to handle them. You know, and, and all these things just combined to this big fog that that lived in my brain for quite a while, actually. I remember that the 
my uh, lack of clarity accelerated a great deal at the end of my drinking career, you know, especially in the last, I don't know, I want to say three months or so. It got insane. Um, and I'm thinking of that time through, uh, you know, leading up to uh, the time I was in detox. I, I did go uh, through a detox program at a hospital and I went to a 28-day uh, rehab program at an inpatient facility. I know that some of us have done things like that, but not all of us. But that is that happens to be my path. And leading up to that point um, of uh, entering into, stepping on to the recovery path, if you will, in that way, my lack of clarity, my mental fogginess, just it seemed to multiply daily. You know, what, 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 um, you know, maybe a year prior to moving into recovery, um, you know, I could say, well, you know, I wasn't that clear then. Well, that was nothing compared to a month prior, compared to two weeks prior, compared to one week before going, uh, getting into recovery. I was genuinely insane at that point, looking back on it. And so, you know, we talk about addiction as a progressive condition or a progressive disease. I found that it accelerated a great deal, uh, especially at the end. You know, and it's interesting you mentioned that word insane. You know, I was thinking about that, that, you know, um, the denial is so thick about not just my own behavior, but rationalizing and justifying what other people are saying and doing and not not believing them, uh, saying, no, you don't know what you're talking about and that kind of thing. You know, we, we have a step for that that talks about our insanity. And I had to, when I was working through those, had to understand what does my insanity look like? What does it cause me to do? And what does it, how does it show up? And, and where is my, where is my um, broken chain of thought uh, broken? Because, you know, I mean, I don't know who said it. There's a quote about you can't fix a, a broken brain with with the same broken brain. <laughs> That's you right. Know? And so, you know, I, I'm trying to fix my own flaws, but I can't do that, you know. And so I, I keep falling in the same hole, the same insane thinking. This time it'll be different. Somebody might recognize that phrase. You know, I'll, I'll do it this way or I'll do it that way or I'll try something else because this time it'll be different. And so that insanity clouded my my thinking a lot. Yeah, I, I know that for me, and then I've heard from others that that's why uh, total abstinence is so critical in the beginning. Because if I'm going to experience a healing of mind, body, and spirit, I can't do it with the alcohol-soaked brain. That's just not possible. But if I can uh, stop taking alcohol into my body, then I have a chance, at least, uh, of being able to to walk the path and you know, of uh, fortunately increasing clarity over time. It's certainly not the case that, you know, a month into uh, recovery, my mind was not very clear. And that continued for quite a while. And I remember hearing people say, um, you know, in, in my early years of recovery, people saying that things like, uh, you know, you don't really get your mind back for five years. Well, five years sound like a lifetime to me, you know, at six months. And um, I just always remembered that. And I thought, well, by three years, my mind was very much more clear, but it kept getting clearer. And, and I have to say that I would agree with that particular timeline that at five years, I, I really had forgotten uh, what clarity of mind was, I think, until I was able to uh, experience more of it 
um, roughly five years. Now, everything, again, everything's a progression, and, and I think it happens more quickly at first, and then it slows down over time, but I know that we keep improving over time, though maybe not at, at the same uh, rate. You reminded me of um, things that happened my first year in recovery because, of course, I thought I was recovered <laughs> and I was and I was fine and there was nothing wrong with my brain or with me now. And um, and I made some decisions in that first year of recovery, believing with, you know, all of my being that they were the right and perfect decisions for me. They turned out to be impermanent. Um, and they had to do with finances and romances. That's typically the things we get tangled up in. I waited exactly one year before I got involved in, in either of those. It was probably year 15 when I got disentangled from those decisions that I made in my first year of recovery. But I couldn't see it at that point in time. Yeah, it it, it is amazing how, you know, it's ironic to me that one of the uh, upsides, one of the reasons that we drink is because it it the experience of having alcohol in in my system is like you know being surrounded by a layer of comfort somehow some kind of protection um and it and it it shrinks my world if you've ever had that experience of you know maybe you're the one in, in the at the party or the bar who's had a few too many and you're just being really loud and and you don't really know that you're disrupting what's going on because my world was so insulated well you you take that and crank it up to a hundred and it's not so fun anymore. Um, being insulated to that level turns into disconnection. You know, it turns into insanity, uh, we could call it. So what started out as sort of like a comfortable blanket turned into a smothering layer of concrete, you know, over time, at least that's, that's how I experience. And that is the irony. Be careful what you ask for. You may get more of it than, you actually ever wanted. I know that that's what, that's what happened to me. Oh, I like how this feels. I want more of it. Well, here you go. What do you think now? Yeah. Drowning. Well, so now that we know about this challenge of this confused and befuddled mind, what's the solution? In unity, we affirm that the universe is governed by what we call spiritual principle. And this means that cause and effect in our universe is as reliable and consistent as say the law of gravity. And this is a core difference between unity and traditional Christianity. Uh, we know that God is not capricious, uh, treating some differently than others. We know that God is the same for everyone, everywhere, every time. And it is these very same consistent and reliable principles that can guide us in our recovery journey, including this journey to a clarity of mind. And that's what we want to focus on today. But this idea of God as principle can be really confusing. What does that mean in practical terms? And how can that help guide us in our recovery? Dan, what's your experience with that? Well, what comes to mind is uh, when I very first began to hear about this, uh, these unity principles, the first time I walked in to a unity church, and I was the, my minister at the time, and this became a church that we went to for years thereafter, um, spoke of God as law you know, LAW law. And, and that is, uh, I find sort of an, a little bit of an older school, old school unity term, if you will, but very much applicable. Um, we talk about spiritual law or spiritual principle, you know, meaning the same thing. And what, and what I gathered from my minister at that time and what it means is, is exactly what we just said. It means that God is utterly and completely consistent 
and reliable time after time after time. In fact, when I read uh, back to the early writings from Unity co-founders, uh, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, especially from Charles, this was a major point that he was making. In fact, in many ways, um, New Thought is a direct rebuttal of uh, a God concept that is what we call capricious, which t the, the way I explain that is that, you know, there's some superhuman with a magic wand that says, you win the lottery and you get cancer and and you get what you want and you lose what you have, you know, like based on what? What is this arbitrary, what's going on? Now, it may look like that sometimes from where we sit, but what the Fillmore's put forth and what I believe and know is that it's not how God operates. God is like gravity, you know, like law. Uh, utterly consistent, utterly reliable. And I didn't have, at, the, at my early recovery, I didn't have the benefit of having been exposed to unity um, concepts at that point. But I was I was exposed to this concept of spiritual principles. They just didn't call it that. They just didn't call it God. And so we talked about things like good orderly direction, you know, which which gave me, it's a, it's a that's a principle, and of course the initials stand for God, G-O-D. Uh, good orderly direction. Is this good? What I'm about to do, or what I'm thinking about, or or what I, you know, the action I'm considering. Uh, is it orderly? Is it the next thing in line? You know, and and direction. Does it have a purpose? And does it have does it have a focus? And when I was taught to start looking at different aspects of these principles in that manner, it gave me the direction that I needed. It was many years before I finally landed in unity to understand God as principle. But when I look back, I can see that those principles were working even though I didn't have a name for them. And and I love that, what you just said, because to me that gets at the very essence of the truth that underlies these. It doesn't matter if I know what to call them. It doesn't matter how I experienced them, what language was used when I finally began to wrap my head around it. If something truly is a timeless principle, and in a way God is, you know, the timeless, all uppercase letters, the timeless principle or the idea uh, out of which everything uh, is created. Um, if that is true, then it doesn't matter if I approached it as, like you said, good orderly direction. Hey, what a great way to get on an addiction recovery path. I mean, I know people that that very phrase sort of got them over the hump. You know, many of us have a, a hard time and a lot of trouble with traditional religion. And so if, when we get into recovery and we start hearing about, quote, spiritual things, you know, it, it can make us want to turn tail and run. I know it can make us want to think, you know, this is a bunch of religious lunatics and I don't want anything to do with it. But if we stick around even for a short time, uh, we very quickly begin to see it's not about that. It's about these timeless, reliable principles. Like, you know, we'll talk about them in a little bit. Honesty is one. Zeal, all of the Unity 12 uh, powers are um, these kind of spiritual principles. And that's one thing that I love best about it. I mean, I, I can't say it enough. My mind keeps returning to um, how completely consistent and reliable these things are because I have built a life on them. You know, I, I I have faith in their reliability, and I find that to be true time after time after time, as that's been tested in my own life. And so the next step for me um, in understanding this principle was understanding uh, God as I understand God to be the energy that underlies the universe, yeah. the energy that is in everything, the energy that expresses through everything and as everything. And so... I, 
I started paying attention to what was this energy doing and what was it feeling like um, because I had been uh, exposed to this idea of the capricious God and I didn't, I didn't buy it. Um, I, w- I was trying to replace that idea and I'm going, okay, so somebody introduced me to the idea that maybe I'm forcing solutions. If I'm forcing solutions, I'm swimming upstream. You know, I'm taking on water. I'm making no progress. And so maybe I need to look at what it is that I'm that I'm doing and most of the time it was ego driven and it was motive driven you know I want what I want when I want it that kind of thing then I finally could could do a little bit of letting go but understanding that there was this energy in the universe that flowed in a particular direction that had only good in mind for me and everybody in the world uh, gave me a tool to hang on to which you know am I going upstream or am I floating floating downstream am I going with the flow one thing that God as principle uh, means for me is that God is not a kind of a superhuman, right? Any Or any kind of being, really. And that I, I had found very hard to wrap my head around. But you, you said it very well just there. Um, thinking of God as an energy helped me a lot to uh, decouple my mind from you know, the, the, the kind of traditional conceptions that stem from the, um, the Hebrew Bible. And in fact, in all, all religions, uh, we tend to personify the divine. It's not just in, um, Abrahamic religions even, but to decouple my mind from that, you know, here in our postmodern era and to see God as an energy or a presence and a power, as we say in unity, God is uh, a pre- the one presence and one power, um, in our lives. And um, one thing, a way that helped me look at that is if, you know, move the clock back uh, a thousand years to where uh, any person looking around at the world, you know, we just saw material stuff. Well, there's wood and there's animals and water and wind and clouds and, you know, sort of all this stuff. We had no concept of what an atom was, let alone a subatomic uh, particle. So in a way, it's it's the same level of revelation that says, you know, even though stone is different than water, is different than wood, is different than a duck, they all have the same things coursing through them, these things called, you know, atoms and protons. And people look at you like, what? All right, that's crazy. They are not the same thing. No, but it has this thread, this energy, this essence, this you know, unnameable something that ties it all together. And, and of course, science catches up and says, oh, yeah, right. We can see it. It's called this. now." So it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And to me, God is principle. God is a presence and a power and an energy, um, I believe, you know, is rooted somewhere in physical reality that's below our level of understanding, you know, deeper than our level of understanding at this point. Whether we ever get there or are capable of, I don't know. But um, that helps me to make sense out of it all. One of the things that really resonated for me was when one of our professors uh, read this poem, and it's unattributed, so I can't say who it's from, but the first two lines of that uh, really resonated for me. And, and what it says is, at the center of my being, there is a power, which is a joyous, creative power, and my recognition of that power causes it to act for me. All I have to do is become aware all I have to do is recognize. And that set me on the path of, okay, how do I become aware? You know, I started looking for God or looking for the good, if you will, in everything around. And that, um, that, that concept that if I 
recognize it. If I become aware of it, it can work for me, through me, and as me was really a key component for me. I think that's one of the best ways I've ever heard that put. I think that's perfect. I can see why that jumped out to you, and I can see why you'd want to share it here today. It's it's it, it gets right at it to me. And you know this, um, uh, I don't know, call it a habit, if you will. We human beings, of course, we see things through a human lens, and so we tend to you know, humanify everything that we look at, right? Even the ancient Greek and the ancient Roman pantheon, right? Their kind of way of explaining the unexplainable was this whole set of gods and these stories and these gods had kids with other gods and there's Thor, you know, the whole Roman and Greek pantheon. And we tend to do that. And some will say, well, didn't, didn't even Jesus personify God by calling him father? Well, you know, in a way, I would say he personified his realization of God, but that, uh, and this is from the the uh, Unity Metaphysics book, the Tan one, uh, but that Jesus was not defining God when he spoke of God as the Father. He was he was naming his feeling of relationship by use of the word Father. That makes a lot of sense to me because what you're describing and what what the Fillmore's described as God as principle, God as law, God as sort of an energy, God is through and as and around us, all of that makes perfect sense in the light of that um, way of seeing um, that biblical history. So I, I really appreciate that about um, those who have come before us um, and kind of outlined uh, Unity's views are really their new thought views um, that we call metaphysics. And so, you know, taking that a little bit further, if this uh, energy is, lives within me or and expresses as me, how do I want to show up in the world? How am I showing up in the world? You know, that... that um, coupled with the ideas that I were, was learning about, the concepts, the spiritual principles that I was learning about, you know, for example, let's just take honesty. Um, I didn't think I was dishonest. And then I was asked, do my words and actions match? And then after I kind of got that under control, it was, okay, so uh, how about your motives? Does that match your words and your actions? And then underneath that, do, how, do my belief systems line up with my motives and my words and my actions? And it got deeper and deeper and deeper. But it, um, it gave me something to hang on to of this God energy expressing in the world, how, how do I need to... to um, how do I need to show up in that way? I know that this is true for me. I just have to add for me because I don't want to try to speak globally. But I know that for me today, what I call God, what we're describing, this God is principle, this power and this presence, that God guides me today in my life every day very much as a power and a presence and not as a being, not, not a parent that I could make angry by acting wrong, but by uh, the very essence of what I call life, supporting, loving you, me, and everyone as we move forward in our unfolding. That's a great thought. So let's hang on to that because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue the conversation. The phone number to dial is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio, celebrating diversity and inclusivity for Pride Month. We are one. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell, taken from a talk called The Plan Unfolds. One of the other aspects of helping to really identify a true new beginning is being willing to sit in deep questions and pay attention to your answers to those deep questions. Deep questions like, what does my soul really long to do and be? If I didn't have to worry about paying bills, what would I really want to do? I'm not suggesting that you drop the the real responsibilities of adulthood, but you can drop that from your process of questioning. What does my heart and soul long for? And what do I need to do to begin to build my life, more of my life, to look like that? To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Get your copy of Unity Magazine this month and deepen your spiritual journey. Pastor Nadia Boltzweber talks about the need to make a holy shift. Carolyn Mace gets gutsy with God. Justine Willis-Toms dives into new dimensions. And Alberto Violdo shares an excerpt from his new book, Heart of the Shaman. Subscribe for one year and save $5 off the cover price and get the digital edition free. Go to unitymagazine.org and get a free trial issue today. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer or call 816-969-2000. Liz Dawn, CEO of Celebrate Your Life, has been presenting live events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers for over 23 years. Liz is sharing some of these classic lectures every Monday at 10 a.m. Central on the Celebrate Your Life Hour. Join Liz as she shares memories of working with people like Dr. Wayne Dyer, Caroline Mace, Denise Lynn, and many others. These talks have never been heard on the air before. Listen exclusively on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. 
Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment. But first, we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing that mental fog, that kind of befuddling fog that uh, so many of us in addiction recovery have experience with, that lack of clarity, and also the spiritual principles that we have found uh, led us out of that fog and into a life of uh, clarity and purpose. We talked about what does this mean when we say spiritual principles? What does it mean when we say God as principle? So Lonnie, now that we know about this challenge of a foggy mind and that the solution are these simple spiritual principles, exactly what principles can guide us and how can we apply them in our recovery? What, how does this actually work? Well, you know, what worked for me was one little tiny thing at a time. I, like many, um, somebody told me, they said, well, God's not a microwave God. You know, I want instant answers, instant <laughs> gratification. That that was, you know, and, and then I was reminded that I didn't get into the condition I was in in a day, and I'm not going to get better in a day, that uh, that it's a progressive uh, thing. And what one thing builds upon the next. And so the very first thing that had to happen for me is I had to learn to ask you know I had to learn to um, to say I don't know can you help me Um, how did you do this Uh, what's going on here what do you see I'm confused you know I had to I had to be willing to bring that to the table instead of sitting behind the table confused not opening my mouth not raising my hand pretending that I knew what was going on or what they were talking about or how I would apply this in my life. And that was one of the vows that I made to myself as soon as I got uh, into the program was that I am not playing let's pretend anymore. And that's the way that showed up for me is I, I need to ask. I need a reality check. Hey, can you tell me what you think about this? This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I want to do. What do you think? And that helped me a lot. You know, we talk a lot in uh, spiritual circles about a spiritual practice, quote, a practice. And a practice, I learned, is an action. You know, a a spiritual practice for me is not uh, just an idea that uh, I carry around, but it's an action that I take. Now, that action could be a physical action or it could be a mental action. And and one of the primary ones for me and, and one of the anchoring spiritual principles for me has been a a prayer practice or a contemplation practice to use a more broad term and and a daily contemplation practice and the key word there well i guess they're both key words there's contemplation uh you know taking some time aside setting some time aside um carving off uh, a period of the day to be quiet and to do what we call turning within. You know, that's the phrase that we use to enter into a time of prayer or a time of inner inner contemplation and making it a practice, which to me means it's something that I do on a regular basis. I don't do it just once. Or like I like to say, you know, this, this whole prayer thing doesn't work. It's like going to the gym. I went to the gym once. The next day I was so sore and nothing was changed. I, I weighed the same. And so clearly this doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work if you do it once, but it does work if you make a practice out of it. So the spiritual principle of prayer or, or contemplation um, employed as a practice 
is uh, one of the primary building blocks for me of, of moving out of that mental fog and in, into a life of clarity and purpose. I think that you make a really good point about the practice. I cannot think of any spiritual principles that I can do once and have my life improve. <laughs> right. you know, every single one of them require a const- constant attention and constant practice. Um, and then they, you know, you become more finely tuned, if you will. And so one of them that helped me a lot was we talked about earlier briefly the this principle of honesty. You know, I, I was um, I was in a place where I didn't realize how much exaggeration I brought to the table or how much minimization. Oh, it's no big deal. That's not not a problem. Oh, I can handle this. You know, that kind of thing as as a way of shutting down interaction with other people or as a way of uh, boosting my ego, either one, neither of which are helpful when I'm trying to get a view of reality. And so, you know, practicing, as you said, you know, making a practice of saying what's going on really here, you know, and what are only the facts. I tell a story when I, when I share with some people about this, that, you know, I, I, the first time it really came to my mind, I was on my way to work. I was late to work. I had seen a car off to the side with one of those stickers on the back window. By the time I got to work, because I was running late, that there had been a big wreck on the, on the highway, and that's why I'm late. Well, that's not what happened. That's what I said happened. That's what my <laughs> mind wanted to believe happened. But what happened was I didn't get out of the house on time. you know. And so I had to come to terms with how really um, – slick this this dishonesty is that that had crept into my life and to work on that i I can see that you turned that neon sticker on a disabled car into a big accident that made you late yeah that's that's creative thinking right there but unfortunately (laughs) pointed in the wrong direction of course that's a great example that's a great example of kind of the, the kinds of twisted thinking that uh, we can experience you know sometimes uh spiritual principles have names in fact they kind of always have names, but I don't always think of them in terms of their names. And sometimes I have to pause a moment and think, okay, you know, I, 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 I can feel the essence of this thing. What is the name that goes with it? What is this, what is the word that kind of encapsulated? And one of those words that I use to describe a spiritual principle is unity. You know, unity, it is the name of our movement and it's a core principle in 12-step uh, recovery. And when I think of unity in terms of addiction recovery, I think of that as as being in community with others who understand how all this works. Now, the understand how all this works part is the basis of that unity. Because if we didn't have that common understanding, which is based on our common experience, then there would be really no opportunity for that kind of unity. Um, The way that I see that working is that, again, and again, it's a practice. You know, I don't go to one meeting and I'm all set. Um, I make a commitment to attend a meeting, to be a part of a group, which includes showing up on a regular basis and hopefully includes more than just that, um, some service work in the group and whatnot. But by being in community with others who understand how all this works, we have an opportunity to further refine that concept of unity. You know, it gets challenged when, um, you know, sort of the 
that feel good period where it's like, yeah, you know, we're all ship shipwreck survivors and we're all one team. And, and then someone says something that makes it very clear that they're on the opposite side of the political spectrum that I am. And I get to practice unity. It's like, okay, how far is this unity principle? Uh, how far am I going to allow it into my life? Am I going to allow it into my life to the point where it, um, supersedes someone who has a different point of view in a way, even in a way that I feel very strongly about. Well, I hope so. And, and that's, that's the power of unity is that it, it can become the overriding factor between me and other people, uh, rather than, you know, if you agree with me, then I can be in unity with you. But if you don't agree with me about these political issues, then I can't be in unity with you. I think unity is bigger than that. And it's constantly providing opportunities. I think that test me to see uh, how much unity am I really willing to, um, participate in, you know, or at, or at what level am I willing to participate in the principle of unity? You know, and the example that you gave for that was a recovery meeting, but it occurs to me that it's the same thing if it's a spiritual community of any kind, you know, mm -hmm. if a church, church community or a, a book study or, you know, any type of a fellowship where everybody has a common goal and we're all, we're all in this together and, and we're trying to practice. And so, you know, one of the things that helped me, I think of these things, all these little simple uh, spiritual principles, they're simple by themselves. And, you know, there's a saying, simple, not easy. Simple is about the concept. Oh, that sounds easy. But easy is about the action it takes to, to make it happen. And, you know, that's the practice part. You know, I don't feel like doing that. Well, I got to get up and do it today. You know, it's part of the practice. And for me, one of those things was um, that the first things first, you know, and it doesn't really have a name, uh, order, I guess, power of order is sure. what that would be. But it was first things first in, in um, the parlance of the recovery meetings. And I didn't understand priorities. I didn't understand order. And so after asking, I was told my first priority is always hungry, angry, lonely, tired, sick. Take care of that first because that sets the emotional bedrock for everything else that goes on with me. You know, if I'm hungry, my emotions are out of whack and I don't make good decisions because now I'm under the influence of adrenaline and, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, first things first, order, the power of order. What is the first thing I need to do? What is the next thing I need to do? And not getting ahead of myself by planning out the whole next uh, 10 years and finding out that on the second step, it changes course. <laughs> which, which in my experience, it often does exactly that. Another principle that comes to mind is the spiritual principle of faith. And uh, faith is a word I struggled with for a long time because I, I always associated it with um, just kind of uh, what I would call a blind assent. You know, I'm nodding my head. Yes, I agree with everything that you just said. You know, you have to believe A, B, C, and D in order to be part of our group. And, and so we need to know that you believe those things, and that's called faith. Um, that's not faith to me. What faith to me is um, a decision— and in intention, I say. And the way that I practice faith in my life is by practicing learning to just pause and take a breath and to just affirm and know that my life is what I call divinely guided. And I can understand why someone might question that, uh, you know, somebody who has not walked the path that I have, who doesn't see it the way that I see it, and says, well, what are you talking about? You know, you, is that doesn't seem like something that, 
you know, you could prove or demonstrate. Well, if it were, it wouldn't be called faith, right? If I could prove it, then it's not faith. Where's the faith in uh, assurance, right? To me, faith uh, lacks assurance, if you will. Faith is my intention. Faith is my decision. When I say I affirm that my life is divinely guided, and what I have noticed is that in the moment that I affirm that, it becomes true. Now, what do I mean by true? I mean, I can build a life on it. That's how true it has become for me. And so this seemingly ethereal or airy-fairy concept of faith, this this odd kind of concept of being divinely guided, um, when I learned how to practice it and when I learned how to make it a central part of my life, I found it to be you know, as utterly reliable as we talk about uh, when we define God as principle. It it does not fail. It does not fail. And we have to make a decision <laughs> that we want to believe that. You know, I spent so many years trying to believe what other people believed, you know, trying to to get this intellectual assent to that group of concepts, whatever they were. And I tried a lot of different ones. And it wasn't until I um, landed in unity and understood faith to be somewhat similar to what you described it, uh, for me, my ability to believe, not what I believe in. Mm. And so what am I going to decide to believe? I get to choose. You know, it works with our power of will. I get to make a choice about whether I'm going to believe this or that or something else. And then based on that, how does that unfold in my life? You know, I, I can have... You know, they talk about worry as being negative prayer. Well, it's also negative faith. Oh, it's all going to turn out bad. It's going to be terrible, you know, and then that's the way my life turns out. Well, I can choose not to think that way and not to focus that way. And when I catch myself to turn my faith to focus on it's it's unfolding the way it needs to unfold. It's unfolding in, the, in you know, according to divine order and to the to the process that needs. And what do I need to do next just for me? You know, and so that really gave me something else to hang on to when we talk about spiritual principles and employing the power of faith. It's not turn around and pray to, to whatever it is that these other folks think is going to rescue me because I didn't believe that. But what is it that I am believing in that is guiding my life right at this moment? I think that very, so well put, and it's, it's it's such a powerful concept. You know, we could talk only about that point that you just made. Uh, for many, many hours. I, I think that that's the bedrock, in a sense, that a, a whole spiritual way of living is built upon. Um, what I have found is that, um, I guess kind of like I said, you know, it, it becomes true in my experience the moment that I realize and or slash decide uh, that it's true. And the power that I have to make that decision to de I decide that I am going to move forward under a certain belief, not because I think it's the only, quote, right and true one, which is kind of, to me, the old way of looking at it, but, but because it is, it is how I am affirming things to be. And given that, you know, uh, we are creative beings created by what we call sometimes the creator, right? And we use the phrase in unity, we're co-creating our life experience. Well, guess what? The lines along which I'm going to co-create my life are my, the lines of my belief. And so that concept of faith just keeps running so much deeper than I had ever known known it to. Now, here, here's an example. I want to move to a different point. This is one 
I don't know what to call it. So let me describe it and see if you can name it. I, I literally have question marks on my notes. And, and it's the principle that says by not holding on to anything too tightly or to what I've heard described to wear the world as a loose garment. Or as the Buddhists put it, don't, don't cling to things. Don't strive. You know, this sort of loose and easy way of living, it doesn't mean that I don't have um, principles and guidance. I absolutely do have principles and guidance. It means that I kind of got to go with the way things are going. Don't get too wrapped up in anything, which could mean in any, in any view, uh, could mean in any words, you know, that describe something like we're talking about. Don't get too wrapped up in the language. Don't get too wrapped up in the worldview. It's almost like, um, you know, if I were going to sail a boat around the world, I kind of need to go with how the wind's going, right? I need to, I need to operate with what's going on around me. I can't get too fixated on, well, I'm going to go that way at that speed at that time. Well, maybe you are, and maybe you aren't. It kind of depends quote on which way the wind blows. (laughs) Well, I would call that the power of release. The ability to to let go of particular ideas that things need to be this way or that way or that, um, you know, that my life should unfold in a particular manner or that I have to please a particular person um, or that I should be, you know, um, making this much money by this point in time. You know, there's a whole lot of uh, I think it's the for me, the power of release has been one that I have had to work on a lot because I. Growing up, I'm enculturated with all of these ideas about you could do anything you want to and all this, which are true on some level. And yet my life turned out the way that it did. What happened? Well, so much of it was on autopilot. And I hung on to what I thought was going to get me there long past the time when it was useful to me. You know, I I hold on to sometimes to relationships, sometimes to physical things that no longer serve me. They have served their purpose. They've come into my life. They need to go on through. And I have not been willing or or had the skill to recognize that and let go of that. And so I think that that for me, that fits with the power of release, this whole example you gave. I, I concur. I didn't know we were going to have, that's the quiz portion of our show today. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. And I, I don't know that I would have thought of that. I think that, that that's exactly what it is because by not holding on to anything too tightly, I am inherently ready to let things go as needed. As you say, when, when their purpose uh, has served and it's time to let them go, uh, that's absolutely what the power of release is all about. And to a person like me, whose mantra has been, if one's good, two's better, you know, if you liked it, then do it twice. Uh, that that's the opposite of release. That that is a clinging, like oh, I feel better about the world and myself when I do this, think this, drink this, eat that. I better do all, you know, I'll do it ten times, and it'll be ten times as great. You know, that there's the there's the thought process of an addict right there for you. So yeah, release. It's not easy at all. I think especially for those of us. Clearly, if if we're in addiction recovery and we've experienced addiction, we may have actually demonstrated that release is not one of our strong points. I agree with that a hundred percent. You know, I as I mentioned, you know, the power of strength is the opposite. We hold on to everything. We hold on to things too tightly. We hold on to things that need to to pass on through or be let go of. And we can use that to our advantage, which is what I did. I'm not going to quit this program no matter what. I'm going to work one more step. I'm going to say one more prayer. I'm going to make one more phone call. I'm going to visit one more new person. I'm going to go to one more meeting. I'm going to read one more page in the book. 
You know, uh, those are things that I can employ the power of strength and did to do. You know, this is not going to get me. I am going to win. You know, that was my power of strength holding on. At the same time, I had to do a lot of letting go on the other stuff, and it wasn't an easy thing. You know, there's this tug of war that happens. Oh, but I'd rather sleep in. Oh, but I want to eat that. Oh, but I want to go out with the group, you know, and all those kind of things that go on in your mind. I didn't label them as such, but I knew that I had the power of perseverance, which is the power of strength, to continue. Just do it one more day, just the next five minutes. That's all I got to do. And that worked for me. And I think the the place that wisdom comes into that is de- determining when that's the appropriate power to employ. Yes. Because everything, of course, is a matter of balance, right? And and I find that one helpful way that I can look at my life is 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 answering the question, you know, how close or far am I from being in balance on on a certain point? And and obviously. Uh, as someone who had a, a significant problem with alcohol, I was pretty far out of balance uh, with some of those things. And it becomes, I believe, kind of a lifelong journey. I mean, that's that was one of the hardest things for me to understand and accept at first is that this is never over. And then now it becomes one of the greatest points of joy for me. It's like th- this is infinite. That's wonderful because I'm no longer thinking, well, I'm only going to be okay when I cross the finish line. Well, there is no finish line, so I can let go of the whole concept of there being a finish line. And now, maybe, maybe, I can actually live in the present moment, which is any peace that I am ever have experienced or ever am going to experience is rooted only in the present moment. And so, again, this is whole whole matter of balance, I think, is, is what we're what we're getting at. Uh, One other one that I thought of is love, right? Again, pulling from unity's 12 powers, love that sort of harmonizing a power that we have has helped me to learn to accept, especially accepting other people's ways of seeing or points of view. And we had a teacher in seminary who said something super helpful to me. He said, other people are not failed attempts at being you. It's like, oh, I thought that they they saw all the same stuff as I did, except they're not as smart, and so they drew the wrong conclusion. No, that's not what's going on. (laughs) Other people are not failed attempts at being me, and by employing the power of love, keeping it in balance, of course, um, I I have a chance of being open uh, to people, even if they do see things differently than I do. Even if their views, even if I find their views troubling, I don't need to shut the door on them as a person. I can still remain open as appropriate um, with the power of love and affirm the points that we have in common, for example. And, you know, we've talked about a whole lot of things here, but one of the ones that's the most helpful to me is this idea of simplicity. Keep it simple. You know, we we can get buried in powers and how this works and how that works and which one do we use first and all of that kind of thing. But I was told that, you know, we have complicated minds. This is a simple program for complicated minds. And when I don't know what to do, I need to go back to keep it simple. And what does that look like? That looks like don't drink and don't die. You know, don't drink and go to another meeting. Yes. Don't Don't drink or drug and call your sponsor. You know, don't drink and say another prayer. You know, very simple. You know, some, they illustrated this. They said, you know, we, we have these complicated minds and somebody asks you, you want a glass of water? You want it uh, with ice, without ice? You know, you want it in glass glass or plastic glass? You know, do you want it with bubbles or without? You know, I mean, there's just all these things that we, we muddle our thinking with when it's not that hard. We've got to keep it simple. 
I'm glad you said that. I, I think you're absolutely right because we just talked about a whole slew of things. But the bottom line is, like you said, don't drink and show up, on, you know, live another day to take on something else. But now uh, let us move into action. Unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from a foggy mind to clarity and purpose in your life using simple spiritual principles. So think of a way in which you might be experiencing mental fog in your life today. Maybe you don't feel like you know where your life is going. Or maybe God seems like a vague and unhelpful idea rather than a power and a presence in your life. Maybe you'd just like to see the world more clearly. What's important is to pick one thing, preferably something simple, to focus on here in this exercise. The idea is to relax and to let it be easy. And you can take what you learn here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find a moment of peace. So let's use the example of a feeling of aimlessness that so many of us have experienced. Use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to this feeling of aimlessness or fogginess. You could say something like, old patterns of thinking do not define who I am today. Repeat it a few times in your head or say it aloud, but say it with conviction. Old patterns of thinking do not define who I am today. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, the power and the presence of God in me guides me each moment to new levels of clarity and purpose. And then take a few minutes or moments just to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Once again, old patterns of thinking do not define who I am today. The power and the presence of God in me guides me each moment to new levels of clarity and purpose. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope out of all of this that you found something to help you on your recovery path. And we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to everybody that is listening, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights that were shared in our discussion today. And listeners, if you would like, once again, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to give us your thoughts, questions, and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark, on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.